It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you. The Nothing Personal Word of the Day for Friday, March 11th, 2022. Gracias. Merci beaucoup. Thank you very much to the owners and the players in Major League Baseball. Thank you for figuring out how to recognize when you were about to fall off a cliff into the abyss of irrelevance. Thank you for recognizing that the owners were not kidding that you were going to miss pay and not be able to play 162 games if you didn't agree to a deal yesterday. Thank you to all of the players who recognized that Scott Boris did not give a tinker's damn about you or your career. Thank you for being willing to stand up to members of the executive council who were railroaded into position because they were Boris clients. Thank you to owners who allowed Rob Manford to do his job, to take the heat off you, and to recognize that you were not going to get a complete victory the way you had in previous deals. Thank you to the players who realized that the bid and the ask and the difference and the gulf in between was so small that continuing the fight was not going to benefit even if the owners at the end would have capitulated and paid you for a full season for not playing a full season. Thank you for having team presidents never again worry about their pitcher getting hurt running the bases straining a hamstring, getting hit by a pitch. Thank you for allowing me as a team president of a small market team <laughs> to call up a player whenever I want and not worry about service time. Huh? Hold on. All right, the thank you stop. The explanations have to begin. What did the players want in this deal? The players wanted to get young players paid more, no problem. Increase the minimum salary. Do you know that now a major league player, when they're called up, their salary will be $700,000. Now, you know that doesn't mean that all players make $700,000. It is a rate of pay. You get paid at the rate of $700,000 per year. You divide 700000 by the days of a championship season. Call it, just for math purposes, 186 days of the season. You take 700 you divide it by 186, and that is the daily rate. And the number of days you are on a major league roster or a major league injured list, that is the number of days that you get paid. A tremendous increase in pay 
for a huge number of players. Victory for the player's side. What about all the talk we did about arbitration? We told you that owners wanted players to be eligible for arbitration only the top 22% of players with more than two years and fewer than three years of service. They invented something called the pre-arbitration pool. It's a little complicated, but let me break it down for you. It means that the unicorns out there are going to make some extra money. Do you remember the name Wander Franco? It's time to get your focus back on the field. He finished third in the Rookie of the Year voting. He got called up late in the season. He's a phenom. He signed that huge extension with the Rays, which guarantees him money, so he's not eligible because he's got guaranteed money. Wait a minute. We don't know that. I would want to negotiate that, that if a player before arbitration has signed a guaranteed deal through arbitration, that that player would no longer be eligible for the pre-arbitration pool. Because the reality is that player will never go to arbitration because he already has his salary agreed to. We have not seen in the document, because no one's written about this, Coca, whether or not a player who has signed a deal ends up being eligible for the pool. But if you have not signed a long-term deal like Randy Arazarena and you win Rookie of the Year, you are getting a huge part of that pool. You realize that you will get a raise of $750,000. So if you were making seven hundred, dollars that means your second year, if you win Rookie of the Year, your salary goes to one45 there is no second-year player who ever would make one four five under the old system. That is a win for the players. Now, it's not a huge win because how many rookies of the year are there? Two. That means that two players will get a raise of 750000 which means, guess what? That's $1.5 million on the player side. But if you're second in rookie of the year and somebody's going to be second, that's half a million. Two players will come in second. Half a million times two is a million. That's another million. We're up to two and a half million dollars. You think that's a big loss for the owners? A big win for the players? That's a big win for four of them. But overall, barely worth talking about. But what about winning the MVP? What if you're Ichiro? You win Rookie of the Year and MVP, then you get 3.25 million, 2.5 million of which is for winning the MVP. The last rookie to win the MVP, the last rookie to win the MVP, Coca, that's your cue. That's your cue, Coca. It's the last rookie to win the MVP. Hello? It's March 11th, it's Friday. Oh, I forgot. A new deal with CBS means you only work four days a week. Anyway, that's what happens if you're an MVP in your first three years. Tim Lincecum did it. I think he won MVP before he even hit arbitration. Maybe not. Ichiro was the last rookie of the year in MVP. What about MVPs who've been in the league only one or two years, pre-arbitration MVPs? There are a couple. These were negotiations that went on between the owners and the players where the players can say, hey, we win. We got extra money for younger players. But that money that goes to those players gets taken out of the pool. The pool is $50 million. 
So already there will be rookie of the year and a second place rookie of the year. So as we talked about, right, two and a half million dollars gone from the pool. So we're now down at forty seven and a half million dollars, assuming that no other money gets taken off the top. But if you are an all L all MLB first team or second team, you get a raise. MVP votes, Cy Young votes, you get a raise. But whatever is remaining in the pool, are you ready? It's determined on war. The top 100 players in war will get to access the bonus pool. So here's my view. I would very much like to understand why we are allowing writers to have this type of power. And I am on the media side. I have close friends and associates who are writers. But hear me out. You vote for rookie of the year, right? How about the power that you now have? Not only do you get a player an extra 750 grand, but here's the kicker. You get them a full year of service time. Service time is gold. It's way more important than $750,000. Service time gets you closer to arbitration and closer to free agency. So the media will have in its power deciding who is on the MLB team, the all MLB team, who wins rookie of the year, MVP Cy Young. Do you think that's going to enter into the equation? Well, every writer will say it won't. But on the other hand, you cannot control what is in your head. And mark my words, when ballots are being filled out at the end of this year, there will be writers who say to themselves, hmm, there's a major implication for what I am now doing. Will it impact how they do it? The best of the best it will not, but some of the rest it will. Now, Jason Stark reported yesterday, so I should mention, that you can only get one bonus if you're one of those pre-R players. So if you're MVP and Rookie of the Year, you don't get $2.5 million plus the seven hundred and fifty grand. You only get the amount that's higher. My God, those owners are cheap. No, I'm just kidding. The owners agreed to the $50 million. How the $50 million gets split, that's what we're discussing. So this pre-R pool situation, that extra $50 million, that's a win for the players. That's 50 more million dollars going to younger players. But is it 50 more million dollars going into overall payroll? That should be the question that every player is asking this morning. The gains that we made in this agreement, increasing the minimum, the, ad, the sort of advent of the pool, the raised levels of CBT, which we talked about ad nauseum, which started 230 million, up 20 million. Will the five to seven teams who were right up against the edge go up against the edge this year again? So will their payrolls go from 209 to 229? Let's say five teams raise their payroll 20 million. That's $100 million right there for the players. 100 million extra into the salary pot. 50 million extra into a pool. That's all of a sudden $150 million going back in to payrolls. I think we're going to have to wait to see.
Because when you're running a team and putting together a payroll, there are a couple of teams who will take advantage of the increased level of CBT, no doubt about that. But for every team that takes advantage, there'll be a team that it doesn't matter to them at all. The Pirates, the Marlins, the Guardians, the Rays, they're not raising their payroll simply because the CBT went up. They're not raising the payroll because there's now a pre-arb pool where more money is going to players. They're not raising the payroll because the minimum went up by $125,000. And if you've got 10 minimum players, that means your payroll is up by one and a quarter mil. Not happening. The money's going to come from somewhere and we're about to see from where it shall come. Here's a prediction. If you're a mediocre free agent expecting to make six to $8 million a year, NGTH. You're going to end up with a minor league invite with a chance to make $3 million. If you're Carlos Correa or Freddie Freeman expecting 10 years, 6 years, $30 million a year, there's not one team that is now eligible for your services because the CBT level got raised. There hasn't been sort of that epiphany that happens in a front office when this new agreement happens where they say, ah, oh, snip, snap, buckle my crap. Now we get to increase our payroll. That's not how the owners work. That's not how budgets work. So for all the victories the players got, will they be meaningful at the end of the day? Will they cause more money into the payroll system? We will wait and see. But what about owners? Can they claim victory? No. Because when you're used to... So here, this is actually something I was thinking about. When you're used to clubbing your opponent into submission, you're winning games 8-2, 9-1, really tough game is 7-3. Your closer is getting cobwebs because you're never up only three in the ninth inning. You're always up more. Then all of a sudden you go through five straight days and they are high leverage, high stress, high anxiety, end of games. You're only winning two to one, six to five, eight to seven. But you win those games. How do you feel? Are you still undefeated? Is a win a win? And I thought about this. When you're running a team and you win blowout games, the reason why those are better is that you're not putting stressful innings on your pitchers. You're not putting stressful situations on your hitters. That it is a game where, not that you relax, but if you talk to players about blowout games, you actually get them to tell you that the edge that they feel in a close competitive game, that sort of edge disappears. They're looking into the stands more. They're having spitting sunflower seed contests in a blowout game. Rich Waltz used to call it the 10-run the 10-run rule. We used to have a 10-run rule in the uh, suite, that's for sure. But the 10-run rule is that you can talk about nonsense on the broadcast because it's a blowout. And clearly, that is what is felt in the dugout. But at the end of that game, we'd go down, talk to the manager, and hey, you won one game. That's it. Let's lace them up for tomorrow. Then you win a game on a walk-off, four to three. There's unbelievable excitement. There's exhaustion. You walk into the clubhouse. You sit with the manager. You take a big sigh of relief. You slump in your chair. You crack open a beer, and you say, all right, we got to get ready for tomorrow. Let's get some sleep. It's just a different feeling. But they all count the same. So when owners look at this collective bargaining agreement, they say, we've had absolutely lack of stress during the past two collective bargaining agreements. They've been blowouts. 
This one was a victory, but ooh, we're tired. This is like a one-run victory. We didn't want to go that high on CBT. We wanted the penalties to be even more. We definitely didn't want the minimums to go as high as they went. The pre-arbitration pool was a dream before this started. We underestimated how together the union was in the rank and file. We overestimated the power of Boris's clients. But we come out of this feeling like we have a win, but not the type of win we're used to. How do you all feel about that? Well, if you're a consequentialist, it doesn't matter whether you win four to three on a walk-off or 10 to two in a blowout because they all count the same. But when it comes to collective bargaining, it's not the same. And the reason it's not the same is that when there's a blowout in collective bargaining, the rest of the time during that agreement, you see what happened in baseball. You see the relationship disintegrate between the sides. You see one side angry and bitter and fighting everything. When there's a deal like this, you see Rob Manford call Tony Clark when it's all said and done and say, I want to work better with you. I want to be better. I want a better relationship with the players. Rob Manford, when he met the media, admitted that he did not have a good relationship with the players. He acknowledged it's something he's got to do better. And in a collective bargaining agreement that results in a blowout, he doesn't say that in the press conference following the announcement of the deal. But in a collective bargaining agreement where it's close, then you have an opportunity for collaboration. Rob Manford said, one of the things that I'm supposed to do is promote a good relationship with our players. I've tried to do that. I think that I have not been successful. That is an amazingly self-aware epiphany for Rob to have. Some cynics will say he was forced to do that by his strategic PR people. Some people will say he doesn't mean it. He's just saying it. But I know Rob. Rob doesn't want to be disliked. He doesn't want to be called man clown by Marcus Stroman. He wants a better relationship with the players because that's the better way to be able to bargain with them going forward. It's the better way to inflict changes and effectuate changes in the game going forward. Having a better working relationship with players is always the way to go. You always want a good relationship with your employees, but you always want them to remember that they're your employees. It's what we say about parents, right? Do you think it's a job of a parent to be their kid's best friend? Nah, the kids can go get a best friend somewhere else. The job of parents is to be a parent. The job of employers is to be an employer. It's better when you have a good relationship but at the end of the day, you're in charge of directing your company, of directing your industry, directing your sport. You have information before you make decisions that your employees don't have. You've got a much more macro look at your industry than your employees have. So it is natural, the push and pull, the give and take that happens between employers and employees. But when you get a deal that is less of a blowout and more of a close game, the benefit is you get to say things like Rob said. You get to form committees, which started Bud Selig loved to form committees. Now you've got Rob Manford forming committees left, right, and center. There's a new joint competition committee. That's the committee I was on, except there was nothing joint about it other than the joints. And that committee will have six representatives from MLB, four active players, one umpire. Guess who's got the majority? Just asking. Do the math. Rob Manford controls that committee. The owners control that committee. 
but how they act in that committee as they discuss rule changes on the field, when they can be implemented, how they can be implemented, what's better for the game. What you're doing is you are engaging your players. You are giving your employees the image, the thought, the dream that they have a say in the future of a game in which they will not be playing, but owners will still be owning. It is brilliant on the part of the owners to have done that. The other thing of note is that there's going to be more markets watching baseball in October, and that's always a good thing. We told you on Nothing Personal to absolutely, unequivocally ignore the players, Boris players mostly, but players who are saying, oh, there can't be expanded playoffs because then teams aren't going to try. They're going to be okay with mediocre. They're going to think that they can win 81 games, still make the playoffs, get hot. There you go. Bing, bang, boom. Okay. Well, the way the 12-team playoff works, guess what? If you have the best record in your league and win your division, you don't have to play a two out of three series. If you have the second best record and win your division, you don't have to play a two out of three series to start the playoffs. If, however, you win your division, but you've got the worst record of the division winners, you have to play a wild card team. But you get to play all three games at home. Finally, baseball took away the travel, which was so annoying for clubbies, so expensive to charter another plane to fly across the country to play the next day, off days, etc. Three games at the home of the higher seed to start the playoffs. Is that worth eliminating the one-game wild card? To me, it was not. I love the one-game wild card. There were many, many owners who agreed. It got voted. But then... As years went by, you had owners realize when they were in the one-game wild card that they played 162 games, and just like that, they're out of the playoffs, losing a wild card game. Take a look at the Cardinals. Remember how hot the Cardinals were last year? How many did they win, Coca? I bet you the Cardinals had won like 15 in a row before the playoffs started, and they went into the wild card game against the Dodgers, and the Dodgers walked them off. I want to say on a Chris Taylor home run and the Cardinals were out of the playoffs in two seconds flat that they'd worked so hard to get in. But you know who really likes one-gamers? Your TV partners, your fan base. You think March Madness is popular by accident? You think the NFL playoffs are popular by accident? There is something so visceral about watching the misery of a team lose and be gone, but the more owners who experienced it, the less happy they got. So that's it. No more one-gamers. Now it's two out of three all at the home team. Here's another thing. Cardinals, thank you, Coca. 19-3 and three heading into the postseason. That's a good last 22 games, right? Not terrible at all. Except they ended up 19-4 and four in their last 23 games, which meant, see you later, alligator. After a while, crocodile. One was Johnny, who lived by himself... And liked it like that. Sorry, that's really rosy. If you don't know who really rosy is, please Google it and get the album. Okay, now, playoffs, reseeding. Many people didn't focus on that. I want to mention something interesting. There's one thing we like when we're running a team. We like to know where we're going and when we're going there. We like to make plans. We like to get hotel reservations. We like to set up 
our travel. We just want certainty. There will be no reseeding in the divisional series, which means whoever wins the wild card round, there's going to be brackets. The number one seed plays the winner of three verse six or four verse five. It's a great question. That's written somewhere, and I can't remember because my brain is a little fried because it's Friday. The number two seed who got the bye plays the winner of either the 4-5 or the 3-6 wild card three-game series. So what didn't happen yesterday? Something that players and owners claimed they were okay with, and I told you on nothing personal, was an absolute no-chance toilet pants. Guess what teams aren't doing? Choosing their opponent. Remember that one? That was talked about. Hey, we're going to do a whole live TV show. We're going to get Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson and Kenny Smith and 50-year-old Shaq, and we're going to get them right on TV. We're going to get the GMs in a room. Maybe we'll have special guest stars who are famously associated with teams. We'll put a, we'll put a mic on them. We're going to have split screen. The managers from all the teams who could be chosen, like in a playground pick. <laughs> then we're going to say, we, the Yankees, we choose to play the Tampa Bay Rays. Oh, everyone gets so excited. And the Rays say, really now? All right, we'll come to Yankee Stadium and we'll kick your ass. We'll win a two out of three on the road. Told you that was never going to happen. Couldn't happen, period. All right, I close this segment with one more explanation about how the vote went. We covered it on the live show yesterday, but it is important to me that you are absolutely understanding something about player dynamics, agent dynamics, and the reality of what goes on in this player's union. There are eight members of an executive subcommittee, an executive council. They are in charge of quote unquote negotiating with the owners but really the negotiators are lawyers like Bruce Meyer, people who assist Tony Clark who work in the players union, who are also lawyers. The players are there to say they have a seat at the table. This year, those players thought they had a bigger seat at the table. They were loud, boisterous, exuberant, angry, disrespectful, agendaed, and at the end, totally ineffective. Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole, and other Boris clients on that executive council ended up accomplishing nothing. That's the irony. When a vote gets taken on a prospective collective bargaining agreement, there are 38 votes taken. Every team has one player rep. They get a vote. Eight members of the subcommittee, they get a vote. 38 votes. You need a majority to carry the resolution. That's 20 out of 38. You need a 20 to 18 vote. The final vote was 26 to 4. With teams, 0 and 8 with the council, that's 26 to 12. That wins. We've got ourselves a collective bargain agreement. 
we're playing baseball. But did you hear what I said? The executive council voted unanimously against the deal that the owners put forward yesterday on March 10th. Yesterday, the last day for there to be a 162-game season. Yesterday, the last day that the players could hope to get paid their full salaries. Yesterday, the last day that the owners would keep on the table certain parts of this agreement. And eight members of the executive council all agreed it was not enough. They wanted more CBT, a higher level. For the four teams, the five teams and the Mets who go to that $230 million level and therefore would be able to go higher, therefore would be able to pay Boris clients more money per year. Why is that so important? Because Scott Boris has realized recently that his best chance at breaking records is signing shorter term deals and breaking the average annual value record. Think Trevor Bauer. Think Max Scherzer. Fewer and fewer players are getting the 8 to 10 year deals. They've got to be young free agents to get it. Most players can expect 2 to 4 year deals, but give them the most money possible during the course of a year. However, in order to do that, you have to have CBT levels increased so that these teams feel as though they're not going to get tax penalized, etc. So you think it's a coincidence? that his players voted against this deal when they thought they could get the CBT to levels they wanted it to, which was in the 240s. The rank and file of the union, the regular players who comprise the overwhelming majority of the union, all said the same thing. We don't care what you say. We are voting in favor of this. There has never been a greater rebuke of Scott Boris than there was yesterday. To come up with a top three winners and losers of the CBA, not part of the show, not prepared for, COCA, let's do that. Top three winners. One, any player who has been in the league between zero and two years and is the best of the bunch, you're a winner. Two, any player who is liked by Steve Cohn, you're a winner. Three, all major league players who got input and increased pension benefits and other things that have not been discussed, former players, current players, future players, Benefits that actually matter as their lives continue, given that the majority of their careers end at a very young age with a lot of life in front of them. You're a winner. The top three losers. One, small revenue teams. Teams who pay a lot of money to their young players because they have so many of them are now paying more. Teams who scout and develop well and tend to have rookies of the year. Marlins, I had Hanley, Willis, Fernandez, Coglin. I think I had one more. I can't remember. That's costly. Small market teams, the CBT went up too high. I'm competing with the Mets, and they're going to have such payroll disparity with me. It's going to be harder to win a division. 
I'm a loser. Small market teams. Two, Tony Clark. The reason I have Tony Clark as a loser is that he had trouble in 2016 negotiating the deal. Now he and his executive council got absolutely hammered by the main part of their union. It will be hard for me to believe, no matter the olive branch that was thrown his way by Rob Manford, that Tony Clark will be the one negotiating the next CBA in 2027. And three, Scott Boris. Scott Boris is always a winner because he makes such high commissions and he's done so well for himself poaching players and getting octogenarian owners to sign out-of-market deals because they're so desperate to win that they get convinced that the one Scott Boris player is going to help them win. I get it. Normally a winner. But what Scott Boris likes above all is relevance and power. And he was shown during this agreement that he's irrelevant and absolutely neutered. So, spring training starts today. Officially Sunday, but players will report today. Free agency is up and running. Teams are deciding who they're going to sign, when they're going to sign, for how long they're going to sign, how much money they're going to give. They're furiously figuring out their payrolls and figuring out the impact or the possible budgetary impact of the new rules. They're figuring out how quickly they can get their spring training going with drills, knowing the games are starting in just under a week or a week at most. And they are looking forward to opening day. I close the conversation on collective bargaining by saying to all the fans who are frustrated, I wish that you will learn going forward that all the back and forth in the media and all the things that you read, I promise you, deals get done and baseball and football and basketball and hockey and soccer and F1 those big businesses will always operate. Even if they take a little pause, they will operate. So going forward, don't let your emotional well-being go up and down according to whether or not there's an agreement in place the minute one runs out. On behalf of former executives, current executives, people in the commissioner's office, players, agents, we say to you, the fans, without you, we're just playing like it's COVID. All right, when we come back, we're going to review a movie that I watched during the middle of the night, and we have to talk about what kind of day Deshaun Watson is going to have today because uh, he really wanted the MLB deal to happen today, not yesterday, because there's going to be a lot of focus on Mr. Sherlock Watson. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. 
BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you so much. We come to you every day. You've been with us. You're helping us grow. Keep telling your friends about our show. Find a way to get to YouTube, please, on Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Check out the blazer. By the way, I've had so many New York bagels recently that I'm having a hard time buttoning my blazer, and it's sort of bunching up on me, but my shirt still fits. 1532, still working. 38 short, still good. Nothing Personal with David Sampson is the YouTube channel. We're here every day. I watch a movie every day. Guess what I did at 4.20 a.m.? Yeah, you, no, I didn't do that. I should have, though, but I couldn't. I was going to be on the radio at 7.30 this morning. That would have been way too funny. <laughs> I would have said, ooh, I shouldn't have laughed. I'm having a little rumbling in my tumbly. <laughs> Coca, I may need to take a break. Have I ever done that in the middle of a show? I can do it. What do we have left? Can I do it? I'm doing a little clenching for the next 10 minutes. Yikes. I watch Field of Dreams. I watch Field of Dreams every year. I've told you that before, but I watched it again last night. I love it. I hope that James Earl Jones, I was about to call him James Earl Ray. That's weird. James Earl Jones, Kevin Costner, Ed Harris's wife, Amy, young Gabby Hoffman, who now is in an adult actress. Field of Dreams shows you why I love baseball, why you love baseball, and why baseball is the best sport out there. If you are someone who is too young to have seen it or don't appreciate what it means to want to have a catch with your dad or can't appreciate what it means to believe in something that is so hard to imagine, but when you see it on the screen, it just envelops you in this blanket of comfort and love and peace and calmness and joy. And it means baseball's back, baby. Feel the dreams. All right, nothing personal pick of the day. What happened with the Sixers, Coca? I mean, what? they lost by 29 at home. Kevin Durant couldn't miss. James Harden couldn't make. Ben Simmons barely got booed, did get booed. But then the Sixers got booed. Because the home team looked terrible. The Nets did not look like an eighth-place team. I really thought the Sixers were going to come out and crush the Nets just to show Ben Simmons and their fans that they made the right decision. Now they all look like a bunch of jackasses. And we're sitting here at 27 and 22. That was a terrible loss. All right, I want to talk about LeBron for a minute. When we watched the last dance with Michael Jordan, we saw that players of that ilk, right? Players who are that great. They 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 need to self-motivate. So they look for things and they make up things sometimes. They make up rivalries just so they can get themselves going and try to get to that elite level of play. LeBron has said that he does that. He needs that. He has had a season for the ages at 39, but the Lakers are an absolute disaster. They're just terrible. But I think LeBron now has his personal challenge. I think while he was angry about the play-in tournament and didn't want it, was not in favor of it, realizes he's going to be in the play-in tournament, doesn't want to be in the play-in tournament, says, I better win some games and show people that we can win with AD and Westbrook, even though we have the one title, not with Westbrook, in the bubble COVID season, but we really should try to win another one. I'm still trying to catch Kobe, and I'm trying to catch Jordan. Uh, We better start by winning tonight. Lakers, four and a half over the Wizards. It's time for them to win a damn game and win it by more than four and a half. That's the pick for Friday. All right, Deshaun Watson. Let's talk about this. Deshaun Watson is the player 
for the Houston Texans who got paid, wait for it, $22 million NTP last year not to play. He was an active scratch, which means a healthy scratch is what I meant, for 669. Deshaun Watson was a healthy scratch last year. I think I said that last time. <laughs> I do that every time. Every time I need to make a correction, I think I say the same thing that I said wrong a second time. Anyway. Ooh, corrections. Detour. Sorry. On yesterday's live show, I told you that all the grievances as part of the collective bargain agreement had been settled and that the big grievance about the COVID-shortened season, that half a billion dollar grievance, where the players said, you could have played 80 games, you only played 60 games, you better pay us for the 20 games that we missed. We get paid about 20 million a day, so we want 400 million, cash please, duffel bags, briefcases, plane to Vegas, are we good? And the owner said, no, no, we are not giving you that money. And the player said, great, we'll grieve it. Hey, we're gonna go to a hearing. Hey, you're gonna have to testify. We're gonna look at emails. We wanna know your intent, not just that was in your head, but your intent that was on paper about what kind of season you wanted to play. And I said, all grievances disappear in a new collective bargaining agreement. Guess what? That grievance did disappear. However, there's another grievance against the Marlins, the Pirates, the Rays, and the A's about revenue sharing. You did not use your revenue sharing to get better on the major league level, which of course is 100% accurate. We would then have to make up why we used our revenue sharing. We have to have a meeting, submit a letter, get it approved by the union and lawyers and blah, blah, blah. But there's another grievance, not to me, to the current operators of those four teams from 2018 and the players did not agree to drop that grievance as part of the CBA. Think about that. I was shocked by that. So on the live show, I said that that was dropped. It was not dropped. Okay. Deshaun Watson, what's his day like today? NG. He's going to have to testify and do a deposition. A deposition is when Lawyers ask you questions. There's a stenographer who's taking down everything you say. And you're under oath. And anything you say during a deposition can and will be used against you if you're ever called to testify in a trial. And if you say something on the stand in the trial that's different than what you said in the deposition, then you're going to be called out by the lawyer who says, hey, last time you said X, this time you're saying Y, which is true. Why? Well, I'm asking because if X is true, then you're lying when you say Y. Well, what are you asking? I'm asking whether or not you were right then or now. So being deposed is not a great thing, especially if you don't know how to keep your story straight. Deshaun Watson is the subject of 22 civil cases into inappropriate touching and actions and activity while he was being massaged by a masseuse. 22 different cases are pending and the judge has allowed Deshaun Watson to be deposed. Deshaun, is it true that you went to the strip mall on 17th Avenue and 69th Street to get a massage on December 12th, 1969? I will not answer that question. I am taking advantage of my rights under the Fifth Amendment. Deshaun Watson, is it true that you took off your towel and asked a woman to touch your private parts. I'm not answering that question. I am taking advantage of my rights under the Fifth Amendment. I will not self-incriminate. 
I will not give you any motivation to charge me with a crime. I will not answer. It doesn't mean I did it. It doesn't mean I didn't do it. I won't answer. Deshaun Watson, is it true that you're a quarterback for the Houston Texans? I'm taking advantage of my rights under the Fifth Amendment. Hey, man, do you play for the Texans? It's a simple question. Yes. Well, if you're willing to answer that, why can't you answer whether you had people touch your pee-pee? No, I can't answer that. I'm taking the fifth. That's what's called a bad day. But here's where it gets really bad for Mr. Watson. There's something called the grand jury. A grand jury is when you've got a big bunch of people. They're sitting in a room, six feet apart, three feet apart, let's say, because of COVID. And you've got attorneys who come in, district attorneys, U.S. attorneys, they come in, depending on if you're a federal grand jury, a state grand jury, they come in and they say, hey, we've got a case. Mr. X did the following to Ms. Y. Here's some testimony from Ms. Y about what Mr. X did. What do you think? Criminal charges or no criminal charges? I got criminal charges in my left hand. I got no criminal charges in my right hand. We got a bunch of testimony. Which are you going to choose? It's not great to be inside a criminal grand jury. And the reason it's not is that the grand jury can hear testimony. You can't refute the testimony because it's not really monitored by a judge. And then from the grand jury, an indictment can come like a criminal charge. Deshaun Watson, they are deciding a grand jury is deciding whether they want to put forward an indictment against Deshaun Watson. And yet, there are teams and rumors out there, hey, he may go to Pittsburgh. No, Pittsburgh has no interest. He may go to Miami. No, no, they're good with tanking for two or they're sticking with that. What about Denver? No way, man, we got Russell Wilson. Ah, Seattle, forget it. We're rebuilding with the lock of the draw. Is there a team out there? I'm Lovey Smith, come on, Deshaun, come back. Why don't you come back? Please hurry. Why don't you come back? Please hurry. Deshaun, come back and stay with me tonight. Where will Deshaun Watson end up? Will he be a healthy scratch again in 2023? Will the NFL suspend him? Will he get charged with a crime? Will he actually have to go to trial in the civil cases? Will he again get deposed once he doesn't have to take the fifth because he knows whether or not he's facing criminal charges? These are the things in his head. That is a major, major problem for Deshaun Watson. So as you ponder how his day goes, I want you to go back and think about what weekend you're going to have. I want you to look at the free agents on the board in baseball. I want you to think about what it'll be like to go to opening day on April 7th. I want you to realize that not just baseball's back, but the hope of 30 cities, and frankly, cities around this country root for teams, root for players, all of the lawyer talk and all of the back and forth that made you want to lose your mind. We're now back to the hottest of stoves, where during the course of this weekend, we could find out where Freddie Freeman is playing, where Carlos Correa is playing. Will Trevor's story be reunited and it feels so good? Will the owners try to take advantage of not winning this agreement the way they wanted to and take it out on the players? Or will they say, let's spend, 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 Mortimer? 
That's what we get to do this weekend. And if you want, run 15 miles. Thanks for a hell of a week. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.